Hey, thanks for joining us again on These Are Bad Movies. I'm Amy Bell. And I'm Amanda Ferriante. And hey, if you haven't done it already, uh, go ahead and do that like, subscribe, five-star review, and then follow us on social media because we love hearing from you. We love engaging with you. It's fun. It honestly. really is. We're nice. We really are. It seems like we are just so downing on everything you love, but we're very nice. Yeah. I mean, I am. Amanda's not, actually. I've learned how to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I could say we're nice. <laughs> you should definitely talk to us. <laughs> okay, so this week we are doing an extra special episode. Uh, for our spooky October series and we are going to be teaming up with movie night extravaganza with Forrest Miller uh, J. Andrew World and also Charlie Roberts is coming to join us again Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're all together going to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah the original there's a remake there's a bunch well there's such a thing as sequels yeah is there a remake remake? Yes. Oh. I, I I haven't watched any of it. Yeah, you did not come prepared. Well that's for what we this watch, one. That's what we watch them for. Yeah. That's the prep. Jeez. Get off my back. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I had horror movie homework. Yes, you always have horror movie homework. Dang it. What do you think we're doing here? Having fun? I was confused. Was I supposed to do the reading before or after the lecture? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre or not. You've seen bits. I for feel sure. like I had to have seen it. I, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those movies that I think you just kind of take for granted. Is is it the one where the prop body is dragged through the front door window at the very end of the movie and it's very obviously fake? Or is that Nightmare on Elm Street? I don't know. Like, I feel like that's a lot of old horror movies. Yeah, but it's notorious in one of them. I don't know. I bet it's Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't this know. Is, this, in my mind, is one of the gorier slasher movies. Like, that's the reputation I have built up around it in my head yeah i i think there's going to be a lot of gore um i don't even know what the plot is i have i have really no ideas about this movie other than and in my head it's gonna be like walking through a haunted house like a commercial haunted house i think it's more like rural farmland kind of setting is what I imagine and also maybe some exterior and interior running Uh running in different settings okay (laughs) some murder a chainsaw and I want to say it's taking inspiration from real killings I Uh. want to say Ooh, that's what I want to say oh okay well you know I'm ready to watch it yeah, I got to do the homework. I got to do it. <laughs> Apparently, I'm really behind. <laughs> I've been slacking. <laughs> you know those dreams where it's like the end of the semester and, oh, no, you never went to any of the classes or did any of the homework. And, and you're you... in your underwear. Well, 
no not that far but you do have to like beg <laughs> beg mm-hmm. for a chance to take a w <laughs> it's like that but with extracurriculars and something i'm supposed to enjoy <laughs> the whole point of this podcast is to crush people's joy Oh, we've been doing that from the very beginning. Mission accomplished. (laughs) All right, let's watch this thing. Yep. Hey, we all watched the movie. Did we watch it? Did you watch it? Did you watch the movie? What happens if you're live and someone just goes, no? (laughs) We all watched it. We watched it. Eject. (laughs) Yeah, you're no longer here. You didn't do the that homework. Was the, uh, the Cole James Cash. We finally got him on, and he's like, "All right, let's talk about this movie I haven't watched." Oh. All right, and then, and then, someone, one of you lucky people, has to summarize the plot. Is anybody I mean, is anybody up um, to the task? Nose goes, you know. I'll, I'll I'll summarize the plot. There you go. Go All for right. it, Forrest. So the plot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that five friends are traveling on a road trip through texas after it's found out that um that all these graveyards have been robbed and uh you know there's a there's a brother and sister and the brother's very annoying and in a wheelchair they're trying to find out whether their grandfather's grave has been robbed and then go to his house for whatever reason that's deep in rural texas and on the way there there's a gas station and the car runs out of gas which of course you know horror movie the car is always running out of gas mm-hmm. or the van the van is always <laughs> running out of gas there's a hitchhiker before the gas station Oh yeah, there's. Is that before the? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. All right. So they stop and pick up, pick up a hitchhiker who's extremely weird and has a knife, and cuts himself with one knife and then pulls out a second knife and takes a picture of them and then burns the picture in a in a paper thing and and uh, they kick him out of the out of the van and he it's runs tin past. Tinfoil forest. You make hats out of it. Yeah, but there's like there's something else in there that's not just tinfoil. It's not just gun burning. Gunpowder. It. It, it's, it's gunpowder. Yeah. All right. I'm not. I'm not a Texas person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, don't yeah, you like burn dodos with gunpowder? <laughs> I mean, come on. That's like what we do. That's just you know high school. I am. I I enjoyed making fireworks as a teenager, like actual fireworks. So made gunpowder from scratch, and then Very went fun. to a gas station and ate some barbecue. Yeah, that's where you eat the barbecue, and then you showed up at your grandpa's house. Yes, and did some exploring. That sounds After weird. being told by the gas station guy, you don't want to go to no old house. Bad things. You can get hurt in them old house. People don't like trespassers. So, of course, immediately they trespass <laughs> on the next house, not the grandfather's house. First, the first couple disappears, and you find out that they've been chainsawed to death by a random person, but nobody knows that. The, the next guy comes looking for them, and he also meets Leatherface, the old chainsaw... Um, you know, hacker. <laughs> so that leaves the, that leaves, I, was it the brother and sister le- yeah, left at the Sally end? Or was and it the, Franklin, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it leaves the brother and sister at the end. And finally it gets dark out and they finally decide to go looking for everybody else. And out of nowhere, Leatherface pops up with his chainsaw, saws the, the wheelchair in half that, you know, Franklin's sitting in. Sally gets away, runs away, all the way to the gas station that she started at. And you think she's going to be safe or, you know, you think something, you know, maybe she'll get rescued or something. But no, it turns out the gas station guy that told them to stay away from old houses is I, I, I realized today, I think he's the father of of the hitchhiker and, and Leatherface. At first, I was like, is he a strange brother? Because there's all the like incestuous relationships going on. But um, watching that documentary, they said there's three generations of, of 
people in the house. So it would assumably be that the brother is uh, the hitchhiker and Leatherface, and then the gas station guy's the father, and then there's obviously grandpa. And so he kidnaps her, brings her to the brings her to the house, picks up the hitchhiker because I guess he just hangs out and waits for anybody to pick him up. And no, he was, uh, they he go... was near the house. He'd been walking. Well, I think he was at the graveyard. No, he he, he'd caught. just come back from the graveyard. Yeah, because he had a. That's when they found him. Hobby. Yeah, yeah. So they go to this house and it's full of like you know pieces of dead bodies and there's a dead like chicken in there and. <laughs> There's the, you think it's a dead, the grandpa's dead or, you know, an old man and, and a woman, but you find out that it's actually alive. Like the grandpa's still alive and he has like a, a face mask thing on. Which is supposed so they, to be his face. But he's like preserved. It's like very, like. Well, he's they, they, he's close to being the way grandma is. Yeah. All right. Well, so they have them all down for dinner and they're all sitting around and they get the idea. First, the, the hitchhiker's taunting the father. And telling him he's nothing but a cook and the father's saying i don't you know i i don't uh i don't like killing i don't like killing and he's like yeah you're good for nothing you're just the cook and he's taunting his father really just you know trying to crawl up the alpha position i guess and well, the whole time <laughs> sally is tied to an armchair literally yeah literally literally an armchair and they get the the brilliant idea <laughs> that it's time to uh kill her like like cattle with the with the mallet that they that they hit the the cattle with. That's the, the grandpa's original job is to, you know, he's the he's the cattle killer and it's kind upset. of a through line through the the whole movie. Yeah. yeah, and he's the best killer because he only needs one hit to kill the cows, whereas everyone yeah. else takes two. He killed sixty in five minutes, and he could have done more if they could have dragged those cows away. Yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna kill her using grandpa after he's already sucked on her finger real gross and nasty with real blood that, that was a real cut real blood yeah no the entire movie is disgusting yeah no they, they couldn't get the blood packs to work and so um uh -huh. she's like fine cut my finger oh, no the whole movie's nasty uh, yeah and and the shooting of it has to be nastier than the actual movie in a lot of cases mm -hmm. because she's really getting the <laughs> beaten out of her every single time and I, I, there's the, the documentary that I was watching. Um, the guy that plays the father is saying, oh, well, well, all of them are saying, oh, we didn't really feel comfortable like hitting her. But then all of a sudden, like after a while, after like take after take after take, they started getting like bloodthirsty and they having the, a lot of fun. Their... Like, yeah, he described it as fun to beat the crap yeah. out of her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, and so and before really getting into it, how does the movie end? The movie ends that she manages to jump through a second window. There was a first window that she jumped through earlier in the movie and yeah, starts running. Going through those windows. The hitchhiker and Leatherface are both chasing her. All of a sudden, the truck from the cattle, uh, the, the slaughterhouse shows up and just runs over the hitchhiker and flattens him into the ground. So she has one person that she's no longer running away from, but then Leatherface is still chasing her. The guy gets out of the, the cattle driver, gets out of the truck. He's chasing her and her, like, both of them around and around and around. <laughs> Finally, the guy takes a knife, throws it into Leatherface's. I thought, it, I thought it was a wrench. It's a wrench. Oh, it's a wrench. A wrench. So, he, so he hits him. The chainsaw starts going through Leatherface's leg, but he grabs it the last second, you know, just as it cuts, which was the real chainsaw, I think. But they had a blood pack and it just, I guess it burned uh, the guy that actually, Gunner, uh, that played uh, Leatherface. It actually it burned like his, fat flash pack. burned his skin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... She manages to get into another truck, and so does he. And Leatherface is left going like this with the like original, kind of... with the first truck driver. <laughs> yeah, like they leave yeah. the the truck driver that saved her life. 
Just yeah, he, he, he runs that. He runs down some random area, and we never see. It. Yeah, <laughs> like they're just like this guy doesn't matter. And somehow, even with that ending, there's sequels. Yes. Do you think the cops will be on that place so fast after that? But like no, so many sequels. <laughs> well, they kind of restarted the the thing after four, like like the the continuity, and I think there's like three continuities now, or no? Then they got rid of all the sequels and whatever. It's it's all confusing. <laughs> the the sequels aren't that good. They're diminishing returns. Although four has a special place in my heart because Matthew McConaughey, who plays the new um, cook, it goes full. Yeah. Nicholas Cage in that movie. Yeah. Texas um, is Texas's new governor. One yes. Kidding. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. um not a good movie, but it is worth it alone just for Matthew McConaughey's performance. I've seen some pretty and, bad movies for some pretty bad actors. So. Uh, and Renee Zellweger's in it too. So like, what? like two good act. This is b- both before they were famous. They wanted to. Renee yeah. Zellweger had a big movie coming out. They wanted to market her this Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the same time that they marketed her new movie. Wow. So she would be like an established movie star. Well, first they shelved it because they thought it sucked. Um, <laughs> it, and it pro- they and, were and, probably and right. I haven't seen it, but my guess is they were right. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey was like kind of, uh, you know, then uh, immediately, because the next movie he did, uh, which I think was The Client or whatever, was a Grisham film. That, that was kind of his big breakout role. Um, so, so he was a star. And then Renee Zellweger did uh, Jerry Maguire. And they're like, well, we got to put this out now. Wow. That's wow, funny. Wow. That's funny. Yeah, that's crazy. And Matthew McConaughey was involved in it as like a passion project because it was Texas. They were like, yeah, he was really, he was really gung ho about wanting to be in Texas. Yeah, he, he was going to be the biker, but then they cut the whole scene for the, the whole character of the biker, and he's just like, fine, I'll be the guy at the gas station. Let me in, and just goes ham. Oh my word! Uh, so, uh, does does anybody like this movie? Is this uh, anybody gonna I mean, argue that this is a good movie? <laughs> See, but th- this is this is the thing that we c- I feel like we come to every single time because I think that I don't want to argue whether it's a good or bad movie. Well, I, but for it, wait, wait, wait. I, but I want to say that the thing that it's supposed to do, it very successfully does. The thing that it's Suck. supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I'm it's supposed sorry. to do is. <laughs> Be disgusting and and scare the <laughs> to you. Really, that's yeah. the purpose of yeah. it. it. At what point did you become so scared you defecated? <laughs> Where in this movie did it really frighten you? Well, but it did. It did. Like, uh, you know, we went to some haunted houses here locally uh, last weekend, and the butcher in the meat shop that has human meat is a really common theme in um, commercial haunted houses. Maybe part of it is is that we've seen it so much that it doesn't have the kind of impact that maybe it did before that was just like, oh, there's a Halloween trope, you know. See, I, I didn't even feel like it was necessarily a Halloween trope. I kind of just went with it and allowed the the moral i get not moral the the logic of the movie i guess to take over and i just kind of went with it and decided i was gonna let it just you know uh make me feel incredibly uneasy and 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 nauseous and uh i don't know i so i i think that the thing that it did i mean especially in the 1970s but like even now i think the thing that it's supposed to do is it's not meant to be a good movie with a plot that you're like wow because none of it really can make sense they don't explain anything to you 
you, it's just kind of is what it is. They're putting it in front of you and saying, here, let's try to scare the <laughs> out of you. And I think it does that well. I, I think that it makes you feel unnerved as if you're watching, you know, one of those like old movies about an asylum, like documentaries about an asylum or something like where you, you just kind of feel gross after leaving it. And like, you know, that you, you can see that they, they haven't treated anybody there very well. And like, I, you're left kind of feeling like dirty after watching it. And like, I, that's how I felt uh, watching this. I felt very nauseous. I felt kind of just kind of disturbed. And I, I felt like, I don't know. I felt like it successfully did what it set out to do. Now, yeah, is it a good movie? I'd say no. But okay, 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 right, okay, right, okay. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's it's part of like exploitation films, which are supposed to make you feel nauseous and dirty, and yeah. and um, you know, and none of them are good. Um, they have their moments. I mean, like you know, I spit in your grave, the castration scene, classic. But you know, uh, exploitation films are not meant to be enjoyed. They're meant to be kind of like to see what kind of like like what you're made out of, uh, in a way, and. Uh, it's hard to enjoy. Oh and my you God. really see what you're and I watched too many of them in college. So. Your body parts are everywhere. You really see the inside <laughs> of people. <laughs> so I, I think I think in that sense it works. I think it works very well as an exploitation film. Yes. I, I don't think that if you're looking at it in terms of a movie with a coherent narrative, in terms of a movie that's, you know, filmed well, it's not. It's filmed amateurishly. Um, I mean, maybe partially on purpose, and I think also partially just you know they just but it also really does set up tension well like, like there's a lot of tension that's done very well uh the, the way it's shot yeah I you know, and, and i think a lot of that is also that they don't show you they don't show you the gore in it really yeah like, yeah well i mean there's they talk about cuts and things that people tried to make to it to make it have a lower rating or viewable overseas mm -hmm. and they didn't show the gore on screen they saw you know, Leatherface or him holding and bringing down the uh, uh, chainsaw is the word. <laughs> um, but, I mean, even putting, what's her name, Pam or whatever her name was, up on the meat hook, you just see her reaction to it. You yeah. Know, you're not seeing any of the wounds. And there's only... In the same way that, in the same way that Psycho did that with uh, the shower scene. Mm -hmm. You assume that you've seen her get stabbed a whole bunch of times, and when you actually watch it back you haven't actually seen the knife ever go in exactly exactly mm -hmm. so they they weren't able to cut footage to bring down the rating because it just wasn't in there yeah well so, but, the, the, the whole thing is that toby toby hopper or to, like the, the the director of it went to the mpaa at the beginning of filming and said how what can i show and still get this movie cut for tv see because because the point of it is once again not to be a good movie it's to be something that he can market and mm -hmm. say, you know, I scared the shit out of these people and I should make more horror films as like an amateur director. So he went to the MPA, MPAA, like ahead of filming and was talking to them the, the entire time and was just like, hey, can I show someone going up on a meat hook? They're like, no. And they're like, can I show their reaction if, if it's implied that they're on a meat hook? They're like, I, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, we've never really had anyone ask that question. That's weird. <laughs> You're weird. Get away from me. <laughs> So he so he never wanted to show any of the the like even even Franklin you know getting sawed in half you don't you it, see the the, the camera's directed at Leatherface the entire time yeah well Charlie did you like it did you I'm, think I'm, it was I'm a like, good movie I'm looking at you going you you were into this he's been holding back no I did not like it I approach this movie the same way that I approach 
literature in that I think that all narrative art is kind of an ecosystem of different things that are uh, working together or if it's really bad working against each other. Usually in narrative art, I, I think there's four different aspects that are important, which is obviously the narrative, the characters, the setting, and the dialogue. And this movie fails in three of those four areas, and it does eh, okay in one of them. Um, setting? Yes. Hey! Setting. Yeah, setting. Because the narrative, as you all pointed out, sucks. It doesn't make sense. It's rather random. I mean, she jumps out a window twice. I liked that, that was she jumped cool. out of a window. I, I was talking about how bad the narrative was. I mean, oh, I no, I like that they through, jumped uh, out the, the window. The characters from the beginning of the movie are not the same characters at the end of the movie, mostly because they went from alive to dead. Uh, so there was some <laughs> growth there. Um, you know, there was an arc that you could see. It, it, God, it's... it's <laughs> I, I can't even agree with that, but I mean. But you want to look at him. He wants what do you to. Mean they're not dead. No, I don't want to. I I just you know I don't I don't see any growth. It, because I was going to say the characters to me are are pretty two dimensional as well. So as far as growth, it's like flipping over a piece of paper. It's not that much growth. But yeah, no, two dimensional. You know, the, there's not a lot. You know, at one point I was rooting for the cannibals. Right? Because oh the my characters gosh. are just awful. And, and Listen, it's like they're just they're just a they're a rural family. They're suffering from deindustrialization. All of a sudden and, and an a home gun. invasion. Yeah. There's an there's an air gun, right? And they lose, you know, the grandpa loses the career that this family has been building for generations. All of a sudden mm -hmm. they don't have that free head cheese anymore. Uh, what yeah. do they do? <laughs> you know what I mean? They gotta go to right, right. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? To get their hop their hobbies together. I, I they mean they gotta go kill people. They, the people have got to be the head cheese. They don't have that free access anymore. They can go hang out, you know, at the slaughterhouse all they want. But at some point, they're going to be like, "We've given you all the free head cheese you're going to get." I, I thought, great here. I, I, I guess you could take that view. I was I just disagree. sympathetic because I hated the characters. Well, um, and, and you have that humanizing but, moment with Leatherface after the third yeah, one shows up, and he's yeah, like, "What he the down, heck?" No. Why? How many? Well, and, and also, you know, the, the character development of the cannibals is more palpable. Mm -hmm. You see you see the gas station guy go in and start hitting people with brooms, and you're like, well, you know, these people are basically being abused, or so it's implied in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they have a different kind of development than the the characters. You know, I swear to God, if I had to hear more about Zodiac's, I was going to slip my wrists. <laughs> um, it also it, it also teaches you don't trust people who like Zodiacs. Or but also, you. also the gas station guy said, don't go messing around in the old houses. Some people don't. I, like I was going to say he gave the best advice of the movie and yeah. nobody listened. Um, I was watching it with my sister and I turned to her at one point. I said, look, it pays to be an asshole. You just drive right past whoever's on the side of the road. Don't worry about it. Just keep going. So, you know, characters are pretty 2D. In fact, the, the villains are more developed. Um, the setting, for me, was the better part. Um, there was an attempt at, you know, authentic setups, you know, with... Uh, I, well, I, I, would give, I would give the settings more than just an attempt. They had 
rotting like dead yes, animals. Right. Well, I, I was about. I, I was about to I say. I thought the setting yeah. was so over the top hokey. Yes, uh, it, it reminded that's, that's me. Why, that's why I say an attempt at authenticity. It's yeah, not that they it, it reminded me of, like of Blair Witch. Well, it looked like an early uh, <laughs> iteration of what would become Satanic Panic. You know, it looked like they were it, trying to make an occult reference when there well, that's wasn't really for any the Illuminati. If you see part four, <laughs> wait, where's you the see, occult this is all, reference? All your questions are it's all Gene all the time. <laughs> it's it, they're making occult references. Yeah, it, it, it's it. You know, with the it's, hanging it's, bones uh, and the like. Yeah, they've got... it's Ed. It's Ed Gein though. Yeah, right. but did Ed Gein friend of show do Ed that? Because I... every everything I've heard about Ed Gein is that he did like. He used bones as decor, mm-hmm. but they were using them as talismans. Yes, they were. They had yeah, an occult but, aspect yeah. to it. They were leaving them as symbolic warnings at the porch. They were right. hanging in ways that were like, well, yeah, but that's just because they don't want people coming it, on their porch. I mean, you know, it, it it's it's a cross between a mildly well set up uh, Halloween store and you know redneck <laughs> nightmare, basically. But see, um, all these all these things are are. Like in the horror genre, I feel like our tropes developed because of and after Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And this is why this is why it's such a bad movie. This is why it's such a bad movie because it does set up. Uh, it, it does have that proto uh, satanic Which panic element. I watched it back element. to back last night with Blair Witch. Oh mm-hmm. God! By the way. Blair, Blair Witch <laughs> was, was full uh, moon, and two... it was creepy, and I was alone in my basement. There we was... did Blair Witch two weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, mm, it's a movie. <laughs> this one was more yeah. interesting than Blair Witch. Yeah, but it does. And Blair Witch Two is more interesting than Blair Witch. But <laughs> this sets up this sets up a satanic panic narrative with like occultists being on the rampage and murdering people. People actually went to jail because the public started to believe that nonsense. That's true. Um, it also does that uh, hillbillies are scary trope. Yeah, like uh, deliverance. And I, I don't know that I've said this to any of you, but I am She's uh, hillbilly. a hillbilly on both sides of my family. Like my people <laughs> come from the hills. That's who from the halls. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, no, no, no. Ozark. No, we're Ozarks. Uh, Ozark. Okay. We're, we're Ozark people. Yeah, you're not hearing the full accent right now. It comes out around other accent. Yeah, I, I slip in and out. Like I, I can really get very hillbilly in my speech patterns. Yes, she can. Uh, and sometimes we should have, we think should have had you on for them. a nightmare on Elm Street. There was I, I I noticed everybody slipping into accents back and forth throughout but, the entire episode. But but yeah, like we've talked about the representation of a bunch of different people. I know that that people have opinions about how Italian Americans are presented, for instance. But the hillbilly <laughs> representation is so bad, and that's the. That's the portion of America that we're really losing in the narrative as well. We are allowing them to be propagandized from the right. Mm. And we've allowed them to be propagandized from the right without any like good influence from, you know, more sensible minds. Uh, uh, since unions out there, since like before the, the net, Civil the War. Mm-hmm. I mean, <sighs> like most of these people are have some sort of like adherence uh, in the family, probably have Confederates in the family, but probably didn't actually have the like 
wealth and privilege mm-hmm. that came with the the systems there they were the poor white people that were upholding chattel slavery because they were told that it was better for them somehow and mm-hmm. it wasn't i mean they are the group that was con- consistently put on the back burner through like mm-hmm. every point in history well and the whole idea of inbreeding and yeah living on the family yeah. right. uh, land and the old house and yeah and yeah the uh the developmental disabilities and and all that stuff that's a long-standing negative stereotype especially in horror and look I had family members that really enjoyed taxidermy, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> I like knives. It's, I was really mad yeah. during the hitchhiker scene. I'm just like, this movie hates creepy people. But yeah, like a lot of the like hillbilly I people in, I mean, in my family, like hillbilly- they'd have like taxidermied frogs that were like using a toilet. You know, <laughs> like very... Uh, not like psycho at all no 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 but definitely well, like his, his that's birds, a decoration choice none of them use the toilet though no they didn't yeah but i mean like well, it's, it's one toilet at a time really in film yeah i grew up in california but my my parents grew up in rural areas in the middle of the country and even in california we had taxidermy in the house you know not to say i love taxidermy but it's not a signal of you're gonna get it yeah, yeah just, I I, I guess I have a pretty easy. high tolerance of taxidermy, and to have it presented as like, oh, this is a signal that you should get out of there. Like, it just doesn't code for me. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's an easy way to creep people out because in in, in cases especially where I they're guess. doing movies based on 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 you know Ed Gein, who mm-hmm. you know as a is someone who did learn how to taxidermy so that he could you know what I mean so, so he could specifically do that. So by by you know having these first because they're first really the the first uh, serial killer movies I mean it's you know Psycho this and um, based around the same serial killer and then also um, Peeping Tom like movie like, you know what I mean so it's the beginning of a of, of a whole genre of serial killer yeah, movies yeah but, I, I and, don't think you can call this one a serial killer movie though because but it, well, you don't I'm t- know I'm saying the fact that it's inspired by. Ed Gein. Ed, yeah. Like, Ed, yeah. So but, it's inspired by the same serial killer that inspired Psycho. Whether or not he's a serial killer is even sort of a question based on my memory of his He's story. a killer. He's a killer. And I would, if you she were going to. She questions whether he killed more than one. Yeah. And. He killed. All right. So he confessed to killing two. Um, and but, then throughout his entire house, both grave stuff from graves were found, but also disappearances have been taking, taking place around his uh his home for a very long time okay and they didn't bother to really ask him i listened to the whole story the other night okay um on on, <laughs> on multiple true crime podcasts which by the way i feel like i've suffered from my art because i <laughs> hate true crime podcasts they are the worst genre of podcast and wow. halloween could the be 2018, worse, could be worse than, than uh jordan peterson yeah come right, on not, now like come on all right, maybe, maybe philosophy podcasts a lot of times are worse than, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So like yeah. I, so he, he force is, is going to alienate all his audience. Like let's just get them all. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's believed to have killed a lot more than what he confessed to. But they kind of they got the two murders. They got him to confess the two murders, and they kind of just said, you know what, like this this person's mm-hmm. going to end up in an asylum anyway. He's literally like you know half the time thinks he's 
in communication with his dead mom, like, let's get him put away for those two murders. And they didn't really push the other ones. But I, you know, they, they, it's believed that there were just constant disappearances around there. And like, some of it could just be Texas or not Wisconsin stuff because it was in Wisconsin, it wasn't Texas. But like, you know, like, whatever mm -hmm. they have up there, bears. Well so, <laughs> I am actually an honorary Wisconsinite too. Um, so, so uh, as an honorary Wisconsinite, yeah, weird things happen in the woods there. Yeah. Well, so, so in, so in this movie though, like there, there is a lot of human remains. I guess there's arms. Uh -huh. I guess you could say like fully fleshed arms that probably yeah. didn't come yeah. from a bare Armed body. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm on board with serial killing <laughs> in the movie. I guess. Well, but yeah, I but mean, the thing I, with I Ed Gein, again. They yeah. go off. They they uh the the takeaways from the Ed Gein story that come into uh, the movies based on him mm. is oftentimes uh like men who show any amount of feminization yeah are so sick in the head as to be violently dangerous to every single person they meet yeah you see you <laughs> like, see it in psycho when he inhabits mother and you see it in here too because leatherface he, puts on his lady face for dinner yeah yeah no he's he's supposed to be the grandmother and I, for they a, take it know, to another level I, I mean like you know there's a lot i mean there's a lavender panic right like it's happening on and off throughout this entire time period where you know gay men are treated as something that you should be terrified of single like bachelor single men that have spent their li lives that yeah. way it was like in the dsm thing the yeah D dsmv yeah or DS so it, it I guess is, dsm because v is the five never mind mm -hmm. sorry dsm <laughs> mm -hmm. there's definitely um an element of that in, in all of these movies and you know kind of in some ways reminds me of uh like the gimp in pulp fiction is kind of a similar character to Leatherface in this movie in the sense of like, you know, like he's like Leatherface seems like the the far more effeminate kind of mask person that, that you know, is, is in that is in that feminized role within this family unit, which and, and is sense. the one that does the killing and has the high pitched yeah. voice. Sounds like Beaker <laughs> from the Muppets. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> that that took me out of it and the final scene where they're running around the truck, but he's not very fast. So it's like, she's <laughs> able to just like outrun him around the truck. That completely took me out of, cause I really, I, I was, I was nicely creeped out by the house. It was over the top, but I also, you know, attribute that. I mean, maybe it's my, you know, New York prejudice. Like I, I see something like that and I'm like, you know what, this is, it makes sense. Like, it's like, you know, Texas overly kitched cannibalism. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so maybe that's my own prejudice taking over. One of the, like, first things that kind of made me go, uh, that's not that scary, except it kind of is, was when they were talking about head cheese. Ah! Sorry, that was a noise. Yeah. H have any of you had head cheese? It's just sausage, right? No, it is not sausage. Oh. So I went and visited a friend in Germany. And yeah. her mom decided to be really nice to the to the guests that she had there and cook a really special meal. And it was head cheese. Dare, dare and, head cheese. <laughs> and yeah, they, they had a different name for it. It didn't translate to head cheese. But I came downstairs and there was a whole pig's head, whole pig's head, just in a skillet on the stove. Just like sitting there kind of heating up, I guess. And that scared me. And so I tried to go 
uh, eat something else that night. I told my friend, I said, like, just tell your mom that Americans can't go 48 hours without eating McDonald's. They they take all the bits out of it, uh, the meat, the gristle. There's there's some like maybe parsley in there too, and then they make a gelatin out of the the bones, and it's served cold. It's Jello. It's gristly Jello, and it was and is to this day the most um, unsettling thing I have uh, ever tasted. Uh, but Having eaten that, I uh, am really down to try anything. I'm just very, okay, yeah, we can try that. It's It'll be fine. But when he's sitting there describing it like it's really horrific, I'm sitting there thinking like of my like very hospitable German friend's mother like making this definitely slaving over yeah like really an act of love to make the head cheese like it's a really labor-intensive act um it it seemed like it seemed like in their case it was also a really uh you know like love and labor-intensive act or give or door no but it seems like in in this case you know there were probably people in it but it did seem like they were very proud of their head cheese. They, it seems well, like they yeah. were, you know, it's really... It's environmentally conscious. You're using more of the animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and... you are. I, technically speaking, they were also recycling everything, really. Like, mm-hmm. people, animals. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of just let our people rot on the ground, but they were creating furniture out of them. Ikea Ikea lamps, that you know, at one point. Which which is another of the, uh, the Ed Gein things yes. is that he he had a lamp in his basement made out of a, a oh, human face he had plenty i of actually kind of wish now that he had like ikea names for all of his uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's like what's this this is my bork <laughs> and over there's my schlafenkagen <laughs> all right amanda amanda yes i know you've got a good issue here i i've talked about my issue my issue being the uh, hillbilly representation yes and andy only partially backed me up on that so this movie has it out for creepy people <laughs> and as the resident creepy person i'm offended but what <laughs> before, sorry before i knew the hitchhiker was a villain i was just like wow they're really mean to him he's just trying to share his interests yeah, well, and then it turned out he was a villain. I do, I do think that they were making connections between Franklin, who I think is just kind of a nice, weird, handicapped boy, like annoying person to be around. I'm sure, but like you but know, portrayed he, terribly. Like the the people. No, I, I think there's. I think that they were trying to make a connection between that hitchhiker and him. They were because they both like um, knives and and were talking about the cattle and stuff. Like the movie did. So I was joking about the creepy people representation, although I am usually the creepiest person in any friend group. So, <laughs> um, but that's where it started. But this movie really doesn't like people with disabilities, like. From the very beginning, the hitchhiker is supposed to be incredibly off-putting and making this connection with Franklin, who's in the wheelchair. And the hitchhiker has, I don't know if it's a a birthmark or what, on his face. Like, can you talk about more trite movie villain trope than some kind of disfigurement on the face? Mm -hmm. Which, there are people who have giant birthmarks and other... The port wine... Yeah, other defects Birth on their mark, face. Yeah. Like I knew the sweetest woman who would ref- like wouldn't be in family photos. Like it's it's really affects people. 
And or Gorbachev, he teared down that whole wall. Um, <laughs> so, Mr. Gorbachev. All right, there's our Reagan connection. You can't, <laughs> you can't get through up. an episode without Reagan. Apparently, <laughs> but um, so Franklin is sort of the perspective character from the beginning of the movie up, up until people start parting ways and, and find the house that the Leatherface family lives in and all that. Um, but he is not shot as sympathetic for the audience like like you've been saying Forrest he's annoying the friends and his sister are annoyed that he's there and are talking down to him and he and goes on like a three minute long raspberry spree yeah just like this is not representation anyone is asking yeah. for um which is which is also what the hitchhiker and franklin like are you know mm-hmm. after after seeing that the hitchhiker run after the car and go and do that over and over and over again. You see Franklin doing it at the bottom of the house, and yeah. it definitely cements that connection. They're very purposely drawing a parallel there, yeah. and it's not a positive one. And then you have Leatherface, who was in part acted based on an autistic stereotype. Well, the the hitchhiker was based on a the actor's schizophrenic nephew. Yeah, like it's just terrible. <laughs> To people which isn't which to be fair to you know uh whoever like i guess toby hover and like whoever like is creating the film is not something that they'd written in it's something that the actor that played the hitchhiker well, they asked because it was crazy. a very and and he very, he looked at the writing and said oh this is like my schizophrenic nephew yeah so yeah. so that's you know that's problematic on his part i think i don't think that you know you wouldn't know that story like it's not like that story is written into the script you know mm-hmm. what i mean like I, that that's on on the part of the actor going, hey, I found my motivation. I have a nephew that's schizophrenic, and this is just like him. Yeah, so but also, I, but also, directors and producers do give notes, right? And it seemed like they were more than happy not, to take it that direction. Not, not so much in this case, I don't think. They had thirty With pages of a script. Three different actors portraying different people. I mean, like, so you have the hitchhiker and Leatherface, who have both some kind of mental illness or developmental disability yeah. underneath the abuse and the cannibalism and the implied inbreeding. I don't think this movie is positive to people with disabilities. I At think all. I the exact opposite. I, I'm exactly. Just, you know, like, putting it into context, I don't necessarily think that, you know, it's like written in as a director where an actor finds their motivation. It seems like very little was actually written for these actors, and they were just kind of set loose to find this motivation to find their disability wherever it may have resided yikes and and you and you see the influence that texas chainsaw massacre has had on horror movies since its release i mean it's one of the first examples of the final girl with sally making it away at the end and the whole um which gives some respect to jamie lee curtis and yeah don't don't lay all the final girl stuff at her feet. Yeah, but like this, this really was very influential. I mean, we talked about the Blair Witch Project and and tons Haunted of other movies houses. that I haven't seen yet. And, yeah. um, but also, it has a negative influence as well. Like as much as the final girl is an interesting character, the continued use of disfigurement as being a signifier of of danger, horror, and danger, and evil. It's just nasty. I mean, you see the same, like, uh, there was a heavily featured, facially disfigured man in Midsommar. 
Well, it's almost like they're trying to do the uncali- uncanny valley phenomenon mm. with uh, actual humans. Yeah. And that's not what uncanny valley is supposed to be. Like, the creepy thing is the thing that's not actually a human. Mm-hmm. And these are all actually humans. And they tried to make them. them look unfamiliar enough as to replicate a sense of dehumanizing them. Yeah. Like, I, I think the movie would have been a lot more interesting for me personally if it had started following the perspective of Leatherface. Because there was that one scene where he's responding to all of these strangers showing up at his house that he's having to kill. And I was like, that's interesting, actually. He's yeah. not happy about this situation. And I think that it kind of places the the, the genre, I guess, the slasher genre into yet another category. Because we've been, we've been tracking the categories mm. of these movies throughout our entire you know murder night extravaganza problematic uh consumption of of many of these movies so i i think that this is a good time to bring this up we, we started out the, one of the first ones is halloween and mm-hmm. it's kind of accidentally but still kind of sets the template for like you have sex you die mm-hmm. as like a trope in in these movies and then friday the 13th kind of took a similar track and mm-hmm. then kind of ran with it and a lot of these other movies ran with it so that's like the first rule then we did Nightmare on, Nightmare on Elm Street, which is kind of uh, the you fall asleep, you die rule, which is, I think, the most terrifying of the oh, yeah, many that one's... genres of yeah. movies. Yeah. Like, I think that I think that the idea that because I think that you can obviously avoid you just be uh, you could be Joker and you can not have sex for the whole movie. Right. Like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street to... movies do deal with sex a lot, though. Yeah. But, but it's it's. It's not I mean, the catalyst for their death. But, like, there's no rule that if you do that, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's what happens. So if you fall asleep, you die one, I think is the most terrifying that we've tracked because you can't not fall asleep. You know what I mean? Like, no matter what you do, at some point you're going to fall asleep, and then you have to confront this. This is kind of a third rule. This is like the, the don't go on someone else's property, <laughs> go into that old house rule. Well, which... no, it's it's don't go into rural America. Mm-hmm. I, I think in this because case, because even the public is. spaces were dangerous. The, the gas station, and I think it was the sheriff who was drunk and lying on the grass at the graveyard or something. Like yeah. it, it, it's not contained to but, the but house. They, but they warn, but they warn you up until the point where you enter that space, right? Like mm-hmm. at the gas station, he says, "Don't go messing around the old house." Presumably, I mean, I don't know for sure. Like maybe he would have just kidnapped them from the gas station. That's not really what it seemed like. It seems like there's. It's a classic, you know, in horror stories in American folklore, mm-hmm. there is a lot of turn around, don't don't go further. Well, I mean, even like... even the idea of picking up hitchhikers, though, because yeah. before they ever even get to the gas station, before they get to the grandpa's house, before they get to the Leatherface house, there's the hitchhiker in the middle of rural nowhere on a long stretch of empty road who starts playing with knives and bringing out gunpowder and blood. Which is a very 70s, I mean, you know, you had the the free love, like, 60s pick up a hitchhiker decade. And you're entering a far more reactionary, number one, serial killers, pretty much like, you know, behind every corner, Zodiac Killer, like all these different serial killers kind of popping up during the 70s. And I think a lot of it obviously is sensationalized media, but like, you know, that is a, a common theme throughout the 70s. You have this rejection after kind of the Manson murders of of uh you know of, of this more free love like oh let's just pick someone off off the side of the road I, like I, picked, I remember I picked up hitchhikers I because I'm not saying that. I'm just vest. saying like <laughs> that's true <laughs> I'm, I'm saying like it, it there's a 
there's a very open period, right? Where people are willing to pick up hitchhikers on the side of the road. Things are kind of seen as an adventure, all these different things. Like I remember I, would, I had a therapist and they went back and forth to Woodstock a bunch, which Woodstock obviously didn't take place in the town of Woodstock. You know, I live near Woodstock, like where both the town is and the festival took place. And all of these older hippies remember music festivals and they would just pick people up off the side of the road, bring them to the music festivals whoever it was, they would let them come into their house. They would all like, they would shower, they would, you know, so it's all these different things. And at the beginning of the seventies, after like the Manson murders, the first, you know, sensationalized, these are hippies that will kill you moment that ends that decade. Yeah. yeah Zodiac killer. And, yeah. uh, Oh, there's Victoria that one in California. Sipping. There's a state state. killer. They're, they're just seemed like a bunch Who of just them, got like... found out right recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he, he went dormant because it became From a, a true crime podcast and both. yeah from and um some familial from, uh, dna um but comedian? but you know there was Patton a, oswald his wife yeah Patton, yeah his 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 now deceased wife mm-hmm. that but it, it wasn't just manson there were a lot of other factors like the satanic yeah. panic and what, what son of sam well, that came part much of that. later though it did but the groundwork was being laid like i said with the with the whole idea of it, it kind of reinserted the witch hunt back into our minds and witch hunts are dangerous. Yeah. Like they're not the actually, though, like they're like, not like you're kind of funny. A bit. Total, total witch hunt. You, you know, <laughs> it's a bit of a, uh, it was the, the later part of the 70s when, when they started really preying on the fears of like children disappearing, which mm-hmm. then led into mm-hmm. satanic panic. Yes. So, so we're a little, we're a little, uh, you know, this is 1974. So we're still closer to the 60s than we are to the 80s. Yeah, um, but they're well, also, but you know, in the '60s, you you also had a lot of uh, pagan ritual as like kind of part of a spiritual awakening, and you see this turning away from the like open-hearted uh, spiritualism of pagan ritual that was starting to spread in the hippie movement, and you start to see the kind of uh, fear-mongering representation of ritualistic uh elements from from pagan traditions mm-hmm. yeah another thing that you can kind of track with this i don't know if you guys have read any of uh rick perlstein's books but um you know throughout i mean there's the civil rights movement throughout the 60s and starting in you know 1968 well a little bit before that but 1967 1968 there starts to be the white backlash to the civil rights movement which is kind of one of the same um the, the the idea of like counterculture civil rights being open-hearted feeling like you're on the side of progress all of a sudden turns to a, a backlash um that elects nixon in in in, in 1968 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like you're seeing this far more conservative wave politically start you know at, at the tail end of the 60s making sure that you know that decade where things seem like maybe they would change tail ends there um, and, I, and I think that this, I think that looking at the, the sensationalized accounts of serial killers throughout this decade, the sensationalized accounts of, um, you know, everything you should really be terrified of, being afraid that, you know, picking up hitchhikers, mm-hmm. why that lead to you dying or being murdered, being stabbed and ending up in the hospital. The or... security obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not too many years later that they start, um, what is it? Stop and frisk policing. You know, mm-hmm. they start to, like, up the, the police force. I mean, I, specifically, that's talking about New York City. But, like, uh, well, and that cl- spread all over the yeah. country. Well, and class and race are, are so tied in, into those The drug war subjects. starts. 
And yeah. it's never rich in bread, cannibalistic hicks. <laughs> no. It's the poor hicks. It's the poors. But but like so what but like what I'm putting forward by this is that, you know, the tail ending of this and this kind of fear mongering of really any aestheticization, I guess, of, of these different uh, modes of openness, I guess, modes of, of you know, the, the hippie movement or like just people kind of traveling around, picking up hitchhikers in whatever, um, you know, capacity they did. Like all of that becomes ways that you can fear monger, which is why it kind of the horror genre, I think this kind of, you know, slasher movies kind of take off within this period. Well, you know, horror is one of the best mirrors of society mm-hmm. because the the horror director is so has their finger on the pulse of what is actually scaring um, or is trying to sp- scaring America at the time. Well, if it's an American horror movie, but it they're always political. They're mm-hmm. always really like what what's the underlying fear here and sometimes it's hard to enjoy horror that's not written for your era because that's not your deep down fear but there's also a question of when they make horror that way is it really feeding into a really negative narrative that was already building in the mind i mean is this is it actual propaganda is it commentary or is it is it feeding the scare right yes and and it's really difficult it's really difficult to, to, to suss that out in horror movies, but I think it, it really is important. I mean, you can enjoy horror movies. I enjoy horror movies. I didn't like this wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't like bad for a horror movie either. But it is really important to discuss what's being represented in horror movies, because if you don't like it's getting you in a subliminal way. Um, you know, not science fiction type subliminal messages, but it is it is designed to hit you in a place that maybe you don't realize you have And it can confirm prejudices. those biases, uh-huh. yeah. It's, it's designed to hit you that way. Like if you already think that people in wheelchairs are sort of Creepy immature or something. and annoying, yeah, yeah. then this will just be... Yeah, if you, think, if you think peop- if you think men who put on makeup are creepy and scary, it's going to fuel that fire. And, and like every horror movie in specific really needs to be sussed out because it is it's giving you a message that you're already primed to hear. And it deals because it extreme. wouldn't sell if you weren't already primed to hear it. Mm-hmm. Nobody would go to that movie that didn't like hit at their deepest, darkest fears. And and I think that we, I mean, you know, kind of as we've done this, we've done an all right job tracking that out. Yeah, um, at least yeah. In, in the seventies, well, because you know, because we start. I mean, we did Halloween, we did Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street, we and, did and Halloween, and as very specifically slasher, and this movie very specifically isn't mm-hmm. for one reason mm-hmm. alone because this is this is hearkening back to um, specifically uh, exploitation films, like I said before, uh-huh. but also the fear of nature, which was a big thing that was uh, uh, underlined in horror. Uh, for, for a long time through the, the suburbanization of America. Mm-hmm. And then in the, you know, 1978, John Carpenter made the sub- suburbs what's scary. And, yeah. And that's yeah, this where is, this is kind of pick up. This um, is a much more um, don't tread on me style yes. of horror, right? Like it's yes. the, you know, don't yes. go, which is, which is why I think I've put these movies into different categories. I think the, like you have sex, you die category mm-hmm. of, 
horror movies is very is very specifically speaking to um a, a you know a, a lot of americans that felt safe for a very long time and these suburbs are being created throughout you know that time and people are kind of experiencing unprecedented wealth or unprecedented at least you know like middle class yeah money. well i mean you're at the right at the end of it too like like it started yeah. uh, the 70s was like this slow kind of crumble uh between like you know the gas shortages and uh uh, and you see that you see that in this movie too. I mean, not, yeah. not well the fact that it doesn't have gas. I don't think it's represents the gas story. Like the first five minutes is. of the movie, I'm going to spoil. But like, <laughs> but but you do see the fact that you know they're they're switching from doing the the mallet style of of killing of cattle to the air gun. Like it, it's deindustrialization in, in that case. You know things are being now automated. You no longer need someone the sinister force just hitting the cattle over the head over and over again you now are far like further into the industrial process and because of that this family seems to be put out of work that i mean i'm sure that they had some pagan you know hillbilly characters like if you looked at those characters that i'm sure that they would say before that this mm -hmm. stuff was still happening for those specific characters but like it, it still seems like the catalyst for them the, the cannibalism seems to be getting fired and and like kind of laid off from from the i don't know because the gas station the cook had a job not at the cattle yard i don't know yeah but but being a gas station attendant and having a um and barbecue cook yeah it's it's not the same as a factory job it didn't that's um, true like the loss of factory jobs to go into the service industry is a major part of um the driving poverty in uh, some of the poor parts of America mm. uh, for like 50 years now. Yeah. No, it, it kind of, it hits this point of um, what Pascal Robert from uh, this revolution calls like the 50 year counter revolution. Like it, it, it kind of um, like. I was hoping you do an impersonation of him. <laughs> no, I will never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do that. And if I tried to do that, Bad things would happen to me, <laughs> as in I wouldn't get to host their their show, you know, him and Jason's show every month as a movie host. <laughs> um, so I I really so I I think that that you know they make sure to show you that the economics of this part of rural Texas is based around the fact that number one the grandfather you know they, they make sure mm -hmm. to show you that the grandfather is a cattle farmer, he has cattle he brings them to the slaughterhouse, then. You know, presumably the, the grandfather on the cannibal family's side, they're, they're the cattle that he gets paid for. He slaughters those cattle. They get made into the head cheese. They get made into the barbecue. They get sold off. Whatever, you know, whatever is going to happen to they, the... They use the hides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For so transfers everything to, uh, you know, the meats of Fort Worth or, or wherever. Because Fort Worth was a, a big distribution hub um, of, of meat. Uh, so presumably the the air gun you know lessens the amount of like the well the price of the cattle they're gonna get because they can do it a lot faster presumably the the grandfather gets is old anyway but like the family would have probably taken that as a role that they continue to do and been the been the you know slaughters of the cattle they get laid off from the one thing that they're really trained to do and because they're so um the the you know they're so in, intertwined with that style of killing that style like the slaughterhouse itself they switch to having people as their main uh mode of 
but, of, of getting food. But see, how, how telling is it in this time when you're seeing uh, deindustrialization or automization, whichever, uh, or exportation of jobs overseas, uh, but you're seeing the factories close down, like like yeah. like Billy Joel said, and um, in this time when the the most it, the people who are being harmed the most by America's economy, rather than being framed as people that we need to like strengthen our social wel- welfare system or have better like uh, socialism, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, let's take care of them, it's like, well, these bastards will eat you if you get close, you know? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's a, it's a reactionary cultural backlash taking place at the same yeah. time mm-hmm. as an economic shortening. And it's, you know, it's definitely sad that that, that that happened. It's definitely, a lot of it is in response to the, the war on poverty and the fact that, you know, I mean, it's tied up so intrinsically with the civil rights movement, which not that mm-hmm. those things, you know, it's tied up intrinsically in the sense of like, you know, it's very easy to end those programs and go, guess what? Guess who's benefiting from those programs? Black people. Do mm-hmm. you want black people to benefit from yep. those programs? And, you know, poor whites also benefit from those programs. That point isn't raised. Yeah, but all. they're also they're starting so they're, to depict. They're scaring you. They're scaring you from all of all sides. Yeah, they're also to starting to, to depict poor whites as being some sort of uh, not polite society. You know, as they as has always been the case. I mean, right. If you really, like, but they're 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 specifically doing it there. So here's my question: yeah. Why was Leatherface wearing a collared shirt and tie and slacks? <laughs> this confuses me. He kills three Sunday people dinner. wearing a necktie, and this is the farming family. I mean, it's a, I mean, well, at the like, towards the end, it's a dinner party. He's dressed in his best. He changes outfits. Well, maybe yeah, that, but, maybe, but maybe that was the slaughterhouse well, y'all, y'all uniform. Y'all don't do that whenever you have guests over. You wear a tie to the slaughterhouse. It could have been their uniform. It you could have been a... thought of as the uniform by someone who never worked in a slaughterhouse. I was just well, very yeah, like he's a professional by the outfit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that Leatherface ever worked for the slaughterhouse. Do you know that? He was still taking up the mantle of his grandfather or father. You could do that at home, amateur style. Yeah, he also he also embodies you know characters from whatever uh, mask and clothing he's wearing. So like you know, at some point he takes on the feminine role of the grandmother or you know the, the the matriarch figure when he's cooking the food and he has makeup on his face and they added the makeup on purpose for that reason. So you could see that and, he's taking on that feminized role. And before then he was taking on the role of an office temp. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, well, it's all on, uh, in part four. They said it was all because of the different faces he was uh, wearing at the time. The office. Well, the documentary too. So, so, you know, it was like somebody from the office. They said that in the documentary of, of, the, the movie itself like yeah said, yeah but they, they explicitly said it in part four they, they they hint at it in this movie but it's explicitly said in part four i mean you, you picture a butcher and that's not what i'm picturing well, you know well, this is this is an earlier style? time i don't know i don't know but i want to hear that from charlie i don't like him i don't like him pigeonholed into just being a butcher he seems to be uh you know a caretaker of, of the property he seems to be you know someone that's that's curing curing everything he seems to be someone that's really doing a lot of work around the house and just putting him in in the position of a butcher i don't think that that's an accurate 
I think the day those three kids showed up, his main job was butcher. (laughs) Well, I I find uh, having the different masks and uh, the different roles and stuff kind of interesting because if you bring it back to the, you know, kind of the portrayal of rednecks and hillbillies, what we would more commonly call now white trash. Um, I think there's a difference. There is a difference. of those things. Yeah. I mean, redneck implies a lot of manual labor that mm-hmm. white trash doesn't. Yeah. Like, if, if you want to get real specific yep. about it, my dad is redneck because he worked outside most of his life and his neck is very much a different color mm-hmm. than the rest of them. Yep. But go on. I know what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. But more or less, um, what's interesting about the portrayal is if, if you if you look at it through what Forrest was saying, where there's a change in technology um, and they're basically seen as being unable to keep up. It's kind of an odd portrayal in the sense that it, it makes it to where almost it doesn't matter if they change. Like, like it, it takes away the ability for what's perceived as the, you know, underclass of the United mm-hmm. States. Um, it doesn't matter if they change. Um, they can't get away from whatever it is, whatever stereotypical, you know, let's say archetype they seem to uh, portray, which, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because again, it's very reactionary. Um, Basically the point is you don't help them because you can't help them. Do you think Um, anything of the fact that they're apparently inbred and there are no women in the family and they're so removed? yeah, basically the the notion is is that you can't help them, and not only will they not assimilate into society, to society, they can't, mm-hmm. and so then they have to pick from their own more or less and try to you know continue themselves through. You know, I wouldn't even say primal. It's it's just very you know they they perpetuate themselves through. Um taboo means yeah almost um i mean like this this kind of story of inbred hicks who murder or cannibals or whatever it shows up in so much more media um like before recording i was talking to amy about it there's an episode in the x-files there's an episode in supernatural where the big baddies aren't even monsters they're just inbred hicks who mm-hmm. want to eat people and in and in the X-Files specifically the way they're keeping the lineage going is the sons are making babies with mom yeah well and I was going to say there's a book by uh, Nancy Eisenberg called White Trash mm-hmm. where it documents sort of the uh, perception and the acceptance of the existence of sort of this underclass mm-hmm. if we could call it that where um you know um, america for for example first off if you go into the history of the united states of america in general um when we f- when they first sent settlers over here they didn't send their best they <laughs> sent yeah they sent their own underclass they're not here. sending their best they're sending <laughs> crime they're uh, sending drugs well, yeah they're pilgrims. I mean, I mean that. that 
are nice people. Some of them. <laughs> right. Right. And and so but they were sent here explicitly to die. They were seen as fertilizer. Is the term that they were constantly sort of categorized as some definitely some some people. I, I think that there was a class division within the early United States that kind of was comparable to parts of, you know, England. Well, it, exactly. Not it, even the, the point, slavery. Right. It, it, the point was, was to send over people who weren't desired so that the people who were higher up, who wanted to come over, could come over to a, a place that was already basically being, you know, worked through, taken care of, you know, mm -hmm. God forbid an aristocrat, you know, has to cut down a tree or something. Religious minorities. Um, right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, ultimately this seems, you know, it's, it's a long history and it's, it's a very unrecognized history, but I think it's almost, um, as much as I hate to say it, it's almost, it's almost an unconscious aspect of the aesthetic of the United States where there, there seems to be a crossover from, um, regular society and then you know this underclass place it's never going to change it doesn't matter what kind of technology you know technology just hurts them progress just hurts them and that seems to be something that plays out in this in this mm -hmm. uh in this movie and who won the goddamn revolution that's what i want to know <laughs> right <laughs> and, and and so yeah and, and ultimately you know that's why that's why i find that you know it's so interesting that Leatherface has different faces, you know, and, and, you know, there's the whole, you know, he, he, he does so many different things, but basically the idea is like, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter how talented he is. Talented. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, it doesn't matter what he does, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't matter like that. I don't like that talented. He does. He cooks. He no, butchers, the cook cooks he and he's not even the best killer. Grandpa is. I thought you know, that grandpa being the killer, best killer thing was a little convenient so she could get out of there. Well, yeah. I mean, but I mean, yeah, I, any right. family gathering is going to have its issues. Right, yeah. And, and I so, didn't like but, how they treated people who clearly have Parkinson's in that scene. <laughs> it was all uh, bad. <laughs> it was all bad. All right. So uh, I, I do want to like take a, take a little bit time here to ask everybody if they could give us their uh, Ubrick rating. And you're all familiar with this, yes? The Ubrick. It is your nonverbal yeah. expression of how you felt about this movie. Forrest? In I mean in a, both a positive and a negative way. I don't think it was a good movie, but my like Ew, like <laughs> you know, the 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 that I give it is also that I do think that it fulfilled the psychological and emotional torment that it meant to give to its audience. All right. Andy, do you have an Ubrick rating? Okay, so my face is like, you know. I like it. I like that noise. <laughs> Charlie. Uh, <laughs> just it's it's a low groan. That yeah. I had to make louder. Amanda. Eh. Okay. Made okay. me angry. Creeps Made gotta represent. Angry. I Made enjoy graveyards. Too. I'm a knife enthusiast. <laughs> seriously i i was moderately grossed out by this movie i i guess i would go like Ugh. well um uh, we are 
overtime for what we normally record. So <laughs> I do want to remind everybody that we are professionals. Don't watch these at home.